This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. I'd like to join the other brethren in welcoming everybody here this morning. I appreciate that you could be with us so we could worship God together and study another portion of His Word. I'd like to say I appreciate the prayer from Brother Pat on my behalf. And it's my prayer that the things we study this morning will be in strict accordance to God's Word. It will be His truth that we talk about today. And also it will be beneficial to you and useful as we all continue our Christian walk together. For a little while this morning, I want to talk about the kingdom of God. You know, there's many people who believe today that God's kingdom has not come yet. That it's still waiting for God to establish it. It's waiting for Jesus to return and to establish His earthly physical kingdom in the world. And many people believe that. Many people believe that they're looking for signs and wonders and different things for telling when Jesus is going to return to establish His physical kingdom. And for a little while, I want to look at what the Bible has to say about the kingdom of God, when it's going to come into power, what is the kingdom of God, and how it applies to us today as Christians. So let's look at what the Bible says about this kingdom of God. In order to start, we're going to look back in history over 2,600 years ago, And we're going to read about in the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel. He gave us a really good indication of when this kingdom of God is going to be established. So let's go ahead and turn to the book of Daniel chapter 2. And we're going to read the first three verses. Daniel chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 says, And in the second year in the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep brake from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians, and the astrologers, and the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, for to show the king his dreams. For they came and stood before the king, and the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. This was in the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, and that year would have been in 603 B.C. So 600 years before our Lord and Savior Jesus came, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon at that time, and he had this dream, and it really troubled him. So he called for these people to come show them the dreams, and he called for these magicians and sorcerers and all these people, come tell me what I have dreamed and interpret that dream so I know that that dream is true. If you continue to look down in in verse 10 through 13, it says, The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things at any magician or astrologer, or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods, whoso dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause the king was very angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. They knew Daniel had this prophet. He was able to prophesy, and he was able to interpret these dreams, And the king was very angry that nobody was going to tell him his dream and interpret it. The reason why they wouldn't tell him the dream and to interpret it was the king told them, if you mess up, if you don't tell me what I dreamed, then I'm going to kill you. So nobody wanted to take that risk. And, And so the king went out and said, I'm going to kill all these people because they're not doing what I asked them to do, including Daniel. Now Daniel did a very wise thing at that time. Daniel decided he's going to go to God and he's going to ask God, to tell him what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was and to interpret it so then he could go save all these people so Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't kill them and including himself. And that's exactly what God did. If you continue down in verse 19 through 23, 
It says, Then the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the season. He removeth kings, and he setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might, and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. One thing that I really want to point out here is we talk a lot about Daniel interpreting the, the King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but we always have to remember he got that from God. This wasn't anything that Daniel did. It wasn't anything that Daniel was able to do of himself, but it was God who revealed it unto him. So this king, this uh, dream that we're about to interpret, we're about to see, it all came from God, and it was God foretelling what's going to come. And Daniel recognized that it's God, he's the one who has the ability to set up kings and to remove kings. He's the one that has the ability to change the seasons. It's God that's in control of all these. So God is the one who gave Daniel the ability to tell the king what he dreamed and also to interpret that dream and see how it applies for us today. So let's look at that dream of Nebuchadnezzar. If we look in Daniel 2 and verse 31 through 36, here's Daniel talking to the king and telling him, here's what you dreamed. He said, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and arms of silver, his belly and thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon the feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces." Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like a chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the, before the king. So here's the dream that we have is that we see that there's this great image, and the great image is broken down, a head of gold and silver and brass, and we have these different things. So Daniel is the only one with the power of God that was able to tell the king what he dreamed. And now the, now the king knows that Daniel is, is, has a true prophecy, and he can see what this dream means, because he's the only one that was able to tell him what the dream was to begin with. So now let's look at the interpretation of the dream. If we look, continue on in verse 37 through 45, Daniel says, Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a, power, a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, hath he given it into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over all of them. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. <clears throat> and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh into pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break into pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be in it of the strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, 
And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with the miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. But they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven shut up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. But it shall break into pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break into pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to, this, to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. The dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. So now Daniel goes on and he explains what this great image means. And he explains that it's, it's talking about different kingdoms that's going to come. So it starts out with this Babylonian empire, which is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, and he said, you are the head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom is the head of gold. That's the Babylonian empire. That Babylonian empire, we can look back in history, and we can see that it reigned from 612 B.C. up to 536 B.C. The next one that was going to come, that was inferior to Babylon, was going to be the Medo-Persian Empire. That represents the chest and arms of silver. That would come into power and it would reign from the year 536 B.C. to the year 330 B.C. The third empire that was going to come would be the Grecian Empire, the Greeks. And that was going to come from 330 B.C. up to 146 B.C. And then finally after that, the one that was as strong as iron, but mixed with iron and clay was going to be the Roman Empire. That came into practice in 146 B.C. and lasted until 476 A.D. So here we have the different empires that we can see. And Daniel mentioned in several other places in, in, Daniel, uh, in the book of Daniel about these naming these other kingdoms. He named the Medo-Persian Empire. He named the Grecian Empire. He told us what empire was going to come to play after the Babylonian Empire. Now I want you to keep in mind... Daniel is saying this in the year 603 B.C., and he's predicting 600 years ahead of time all these different kingdoms that are going to come to play. And he can do that because he has the power of God with him to be able to say what different kingdoms are going to come into play. So here we can see that in the Roman Empire, it says in these last days that God will set up a kingdom. If we look again in Daniel 2.44, it says, In the days of these kingdoms, talking about the last one in the Roman Empire, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. It's during this time during the Roman Empire, that God is going to set up His kingdom, just as it's foretold in Daniel chapter 2. So let's look at that on a timeline. You can see the Babylonian Empire was 612 to 536 B.C. The time of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had this dream was in 603 B.C., so it's very early on with all these to play out. And it continues to go on. The Medo-Persian Empire is next, and then the Grecian Empire. If we look at that Roman Empire, which is the fourth kingdom, and that's, uh, that's the legs of iron that it talks about in Daniel 2. That's 146 B.C. to 476. It's during this time frame, during this kingdom, that God is going to establish His, His kingdom. And God is going to set it up, and it's never going to be destroyed. And it's going to destroy all the other kingdoms. So this is the window of opportunity that we have. From, from Nebuchadnezzar's dream, we can see that it's that during this 500-year reign of the Roman Empire, at some point... God is going to establish His kingdom. 
Now let's look a little bit further in, and let's look at what the New Testament has to say. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus taught this in approximately 30 A.D. When you look up that word, at hand, that's a Strong's word, it's a Greek, 1448, and it means to make near, to approach, or to come near. So Jesus said His kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is going to come near, and He said that in the year 30 A.D. We have another one in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, where Paul wrote, writes to the uh, church at Colossae, and he says, "...giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son." Paul writes to the letter of Colossae and says, God has taken us from the power of darkness. He has removed us from a state of sin, and He translated us into His kingdom. Well, if He was going to do that to translate us into His kingdom, the kingdom would have already had to be established at this point when Paul wrote this. Paul wrote this in, the letter in, a, in approximately 62 A.D. So now we can see Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is coming soon. He said that in the year 30 A.D., Paul said, we've already been translated into his kingdom in the year 62 A.D. So when we take our time frame, we continue to narrow it down and look at the Roman Empire. That, remember, is 146 B.C. to 476 A.D. And then we take a more narrow focus and we can see Jesus said it's coming soon in 30 A.D. Paul wrote in 62 A.D. it's already here. So now we continue to narrow down our focus. So we now, instead of looking at a 500-year span of when the kingdom's going to come, now we're just looking at 32 years. So somewhere in this 32-year window, God is going to establish His kingdom. Let's continue to look and see if we can pinpoint down when that was. If we look a little bit further, we have some other New Testament descriptors of God's kingdom. We have more things that tell us what to look for. What is this kingdom going to be like? The first thing we can see is that it is limitless with geographical boundaries. If we look in John 18, verse 36, Jesus answered said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Jesus tells us His kingdom is not a worldly kingdom. When you look at all those other kingdoms that we have in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, every one of them had geographical boundaries. There's only so much territory that they could overcome and they could take. From Babylonian, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, there's only so much territory. Now some of them took a great amount of territory in a short amount of time, and they took a lot of lands and a lot of people and had a lot of citizens, and yet they were all still limited. There was only so much that they could take. Jesus said his is not limited geographically because it's not of this world. He also told us that it's not physical in nature, but it's spiritual in nature. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. He tells us that His kingdom is not going to be of this world. It's not physical. It's not of these different things. So we look at all these other kingdoms, and they had, they had kings, and they had powers, they had meats and lands and all these people and all these servants, and they had all these things that were physical in nature. But God's kingdom was going to be spiritual in nature. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. We also see that God's kingdom is within its people that are of the kingdom. Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, it says, And when he demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, 
And he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. It's not going to be something you can see. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So now we get more descriptors and we can see it's not going to be a physical kingdom. It's not going to have geographical boundaries. It's not going to be something we can physically see. But instead, the kingdom of God is within its people who occupy the kingdom. So let's continue on. The kingdom of God is limitless in time of power. It's never going to end, as it talked about in Daniel chapter 2. If we look in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 through 11, it says, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath appointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they shall all wax old, as doth a garment. It talks about the author in Hebrew was backing up what Daniel told us six, seven hundred years before this, that God's kingdom was going to establish forever, and it was never going to end. And we can see that his kingdom that we have today, it's never going to end. And finally, we can see that the kingdom of God is led by the true king of kings. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, "...that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, and tear the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and the Lord of lords." When you look up that word, that's a Strong's Greek word, 1413, and what that means, a ruler or officer of great authority. Jesus is this King of kings and Lord of lords who reigns over His kingdom. So if we compare God's kingdom to all these other kingdoms that we have from the book of Daniel that it prophesied, it's quite a bit different. It was going to start out small and grow big. It's going to be led by the King of kings. It's going to be limitless in, power, in geographical boundaries. It's not of a physical nature, but it's spiritual. His kingdom is within His people. It's limitless in time of power, and it's led by the King of kings. So here are a bunch of different descriptors, and we can look at, at many other uh, testaments, many other things that we can see that show us about God's kingdom. But we can see that it is different than all the other kingdoms. So remember, we've taken a 500-year reign, we narrowed it down to 32 years, and then we can see all these different descriptors that tell us what is the kingdom going to be like, what is it going to look like. Jesus also told us, that it was going to be an apostle by the name of Peter that was going to open up this kingdom. Let's look at that. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, And I say, unto thee, I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bound on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is Jesus talking to Peter, and he said, Peter, I'm going to build my church upon, upon this rock. I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So it's interesting to note here that Jesus ties in building his church, and he ties it with giving Peter the keys to open up the kingdom of heaven. So if we take all these descriptors, and we see everything that we've seen, that his kingdom was going to come during this time, that Peter was going to be the one that opened the, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We look at everything, and then let's look back over into Acts chapter 2. 
And we can see when Peter opened this, these, used these keys and opened the kingdom of heaven. Acts chapter 2, verse 37, this is going to be the day of Pentecost, approximately 50 days after our Lord and Savior Jesus' death. So Jesus died and was resurrected, and then 50 days later we have the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, and verse 37, says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many our Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. Here is the time that Peter used the keys that God gave him, that Jesus gave him, to open the kingdom of heaven. And he taught them exactly what they needed to, be, to do to be forgiven of their sins, which is to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In verse 31, when they did that, they added 3,000 souls into this kingdom that was just established. So now let's look back at our timeline. We can see that we started out from the Babylonian Empire, 603 B.C., when all this was predicted. After that Babylonian Empire, we had the Medo-Persian Empire, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans. And during this time of the Roman Empire, God's kingdom would be set up. We looked a little bit further in depth, and we could see that Jesus spoke that, that the kingdom was near, it was about to come, and Paul wrote in 62 AD that it had already come. So now we look in 32 different years that is going to come during that time. And then we see that the day of Pentecost, which was on 33 AD, was when Peter opened the kingdom of heaven and used the keys that Jesus gave him. So what we can see is we narrowed it all the way down and all the things fit that, Jesus, or that Peter opened the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And we can see that the kingdom of God is the church. And this is the kingdom that we have here today. It is here with us. So all the people believe that Jesus hasn't established his kingdom yet. He's going to come back and we're looking for signs. They're missing it. The kingdom of God is already here. We've already got it and it's been in play for a couple thousand years. In Acts 2 verse 47 it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Those 3,000 souls that obeyed the gospel on the day of Pentecost and they repented of their sins and they were baptized into Jesus, those 3,000 souls that were added unto them were added into God's kingdom. And those 3,000 souls that were added into God's kingdom, that was the foundation of the church. That's where the church began with those 3,000 people. And we can see that the church is the kingdom of God. And this is why we have it. So for us today, when we become a member of the church and we follow those same steps and we repent of our sins and we confess that Jesus is the Son of God and we're baptized into Christ, we become a member of the church and we also become a member of God's kingdom, just as those people did back then. Being a member of God's kingdom, we have to remember that it changes us. It changes a couple things. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That word conversation, when you really look at it, it's a Strong's Greek word, 4715. And that means a community. It means a citizenship. So we can see that for our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. So we think about all these other kingdoms that's been in place since the beginning of time. We think about the Romans. We think about Medo-Persia. We think about the Greeks. We think about America as a nation. 
and we see that we are citizens of America here as we have it today. But even more importantly, as Christians in God's church and God's kingdom, we're citizens of heaven. And that's where we need to make sure we're putting our citizenship, is that it's in heaven. doesn't matter what nation, doesn't matter what physical, earthly kingdom, those are going to come and pass. But God's kingdom is going to last forever. Your brethren that you have in this kingdom, they're worldwide. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 20 says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's saying, You're no more strangers or foreigners. But instead, your fellow citizens with saints, saints all across the world. So he's writing to the church at Ephesus, and Paul might as well be writing to you and I today. If you're a member of the church, you've been baptized into Christ, and you've put on Christ, then you're a fellow citizen with these saints as well. You know, recently we had brothers come over here from India and Belize, and they told us about the work that's going on there. They're your brothers just like we're sitting here today. And there's many other families there and in all across the world. That if we remember that God's kingdom is limitless geographically, it's everywhere. Anybody who's been baptized into Christ and put on Christ, they are members of the kingdom and you're, they're your brothers and sisters that we have. So if we see that God's kingdom is already in play, and we see that us as being members of the church are part of God's kingdom, why is it important to be in God's kingdom? Why is this so important for our lives? Well, if we look in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 24, Paul writes to the church of Corinth, and he says, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign, till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's saying, he's talking about Jesus, that he is going to deliver up the kingdom of God to the Father. If you're not in this kingdom of God, then you're going to miss out on being delivered up to God. So it's important to be in that kingdom. It's important to be in God's kingdom so you're delivered back up to His Father from Jesus. And we can also see that worldly kingdoms, worldly nations, worldly countries, empires, whatever you want to call it, they're always going to come and go. But God's kingdom is going to last forever. And if we go back to Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 and 45 again, says, And in the days of these last kings, talking about the Roman Empire, shall God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out in the mountain without hands, and that it break into pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. The dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. So we know that God's kingdom is going to last forever. And if you're a part of God's kingdom, you're going to last forever. This is how you have everlasting life, is you last forever inside of God's kingdom. There's many, many blessings that we have for being inside God's kingdom. For one, we are led by the king of kings. Remember, God's kingdom is led by the King of Kings. If you're in God's kingdom, you are led by the King of Kings. We have assurance that your needs will always be met. Maybe not your wants, but remember in Matthew chapter 6 where it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and you'll have everything you need. We have that assurance. We have all the things that we need when we're a part of God's kingdom or we're continually seeking it. 
We have a family that spreads across the entire world, a family that loves you and cares for you and wants to help you in times of need. All over the world, they're willing to help you. We become a joint heir with Jesus Christ. When you become a member of the church and you become a member of His kingdom, you become a joint heir of Christ. And I want you to think about that for a second. Jesus Christ is the one true Son of God, isn't He? The God, the creator of all things, the ones who can give all good things that come from God. That Jesus is the one who is the heir of everything that we have. And you become a joint heir with Him when you're baptized into Him and become a member of His kingdom. We also have abounding treasures waiting for us in heaven. There's many things that we work hard to achieve here in America. We work hard to have worldly gain and to improve our status for whatever it is. But what we always have to remember is by being a king in the kingdom of God and being a joint heir in Christ, we have all these abounding treasures that God is ready to give us. As soon as we cross over and we can reach there, that we have this crown of life waiting for us forever. So we have all these many blessings. There's many more that we could talk about. But being in the kingdom of God that's already here, it's already established, and it's led by the king to kings, it gives you so many other blessings that you have. So for over the last couple thousand years, we can see that God's kingdom was accurately predicted when Nebuchadnezzar had the dream that God gave him and that God was able to use Daniel to interpret that dream, that we knew that it was going to come into power. This is the kingdom that's reigning here and now, and Christ's church is with all of us to have this privilege and opportunity to become faithful members of God's kingdom. So if you're not a member of God's kingdom, you can do that this morning. You can become a member of God's kingdom. All you have to do is what they did in Acts chapter 2, what Peter told them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. When you do that and you wash away your sins in baptism, it's God who puts you in His kingdom. It's God who puts you in His church. And it's God who saves your soul. And you have the opportunity to do that this morning. So if you haven't been baptized into Christ and you're not part of His kingdom that's already established and that's going to stand forever, you're not part of His church, then I would encourage you to do that this morning. Wash away your sins and become a member of His kingdom. If you already are a member of His kingdom, if you already are a member of the church who've been baptized into Christ, remember that we have a responsibility as His citizens and the citizens of heaven. And that responsibility is to grow the kingdom, to go out and plant the seed, to spread the gospel to other people. We want that kingdom to grow. It's limitless geographically. It's limitless in time of power. Everybody can be a part of it, and God wants everybody to be a part of it. And it's our responsibility to go share that message with other people. So let's continue to grow. Let's continue to help. Let's continue to be other good brothers and sisters to each other when we have times of need. And let's continue to go grow that kingdom. If there be one of either class, if you need help from the church, if you need prayers, or if you'd like to become a member of the kingdom of God and of the church, all you have to do is come have a seat on the front pew while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.